0: You're listening to Checking In, a self-help book club hosted by Adam and Amber, where we read self-help books each week and sit down to talk about them.
1: Disclaimer, the opinions recorded on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the authors mentioned here. Amber, tell us about yourself and why why you want to do a podcast
0: on this. I feel like at some point you are transitioning from reading books for pleasure, then you turn to reading books to survive (laughs) in adulthood. Um, And through my years of therapy, I've been assigned quite a few and some I didn't read and some I did. And I felt like it would be so much easier if I had someone to read them with and talk about them with.
1: What do you feel like is the stumbling block that prevents you from reading your quote assignments?
0: Um, (laughs) as one of my close friends, Miranda said, um, (laughs) I feel like it's kind of the therapist job. (laughs) Like, why are you assigning me? (laughs) Why are you assigning me these books to read? You're supposed to know the answers. (laughs) Can you not fix me? (laughs) is that not your job um so mainly just out of yeah I guess like laziness and not being very committed to quote unquote the work
1: (laughs) and yet here we are You're you know you're you're doing some of the work what do you think (laughs) is the difference between like when you when you're interested enough in a self-help book to actually really dig into it beyond like the first five or ten pages
0: I think that usually as they get compelling, even if it's compelling in a way where I don't necessarily agree, um, I would still kind of try to dive in and see what answers are in there. Okay, Adam. Yes. (laughs) Why are you interested in starting this podcast?
1: Well, it's it's interesting to be able to talk about how different self-help books affect different people, I think. You know, we we might get totally different takeaways from the same book. And as far as like self-help books themselves, like why why am I into them? I feel like there's a lot about me to, you know, that I need to attack and fix and rejoice in and you know i'm i'm constantly trying to grow up essentially without losing like the, the inner child you know i'm always trying to like actually grow into a man and i feel like self-help books are uh pretty helpful there i don't have a really good idea of what normal is so that's i guess that's why i'm constantly adjusting and fine-tuning and i've i've had therapists suggest this book or that book. And I usually, I do give it a shot, you know, (laughs) like there have been several books that people were like, Hey, you need to do this. And I have slogged through it. Uh, But I've also got plenty of books where I have read the first five pages (laughs) and either gone, this is not for me or mysteriously also gone like, Oh yeah, I've gotten what I needed to out of the first five pages of this book. As unlikely as that is.
0: Can't relate because I'm perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Definitely kidding. Um, I also wanted to make this almost kind of like cliff notes that people can listen to and kind of gain interest in, oh, I was recommended that book and it kind of seemed boring, but this is funny. This is cool. I can try to open it up.
1: Like it would be cool if I got out of it when you got out of it.
0: Yeah. And also life is just very funny. Um, And so I think that sometimes there's a humor element missing whenever we are doing the work.
1: Yeah, the work is not ever fun. And it's (laughs) not, I don't think it's really supposed to be fun. But it should be. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, life is really strange, but it's also very funny and very beautiful. So I think that hopefully, maybe people will take this as, we read it so you don't have to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I just
1: hope that people pick up some of the books that we have gone through because they were like, you know what, I think I am interested in that. Yeah. Or here's one I haven't heard of before.
0: Or just kind of a real perspective and not so flowery. Just like, I really didn't like this part and I thought this was kind of bogus. Or this part really, really meant a lot to me and I didn't expect it to. Oh,
1: and uh, personal introductions. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: I'm I'm the guy that's pressing the button to record (laughs) over here. My name is Adam McIntyre. I have a band. I have a recording studio. I mix stuff. I've edited podcasts before. Hopefully, I don't screw this up too bad. I'm sure there's a self help book for that. Um, but yeah, so we're in my house right now with my dogs, and um, this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Tell us about yourself, Amber.
0: <laughs> my name is Amber Richie. I have two cats. I am a Taurus. I'm from Alabama. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's important to note.
0: <laughs> so that's one of the reasons I'm very fucked up. Ah! <laughs> Same.
1: <laughs> All right, so we've got two Alabamians talking about self-help books mm-hmm.
0: while dogs
1: are coming and going out of the studio. <laughs> I think that's that's a pretty good idea of what what y'all are going to be in for.
0: So... We are going to be reading a new book each time we finish recording. So the first book I have is The Great Leap by Gay Hendricks.
1: Hang on just a second. I'm pretty sure it's called The Big Leap.
0: Is it not The Great Leap? Did I say The Great Leap? Yeah. Oh, my God.
1: Okay. Folks, I think you're just going to have to get used to the idea <laughs> that the entire time we're talking about this book, it's going to be like the head that wouldn't die slash the brain that wouldn't die, which if y'all haven't seen that sci-fi horror film from the 50s or whatever, they, there's one title at the beginning of the movie and one title at the end, <laughs> and therefore like, just completely screwing up uh, any idea of consistency about what movie was just being watched. The Big Leap by psychologist and personal growth coach Gay Hendricks aims to help you overcome the psychological barriers to success and fulfillment. Hendricks asserts that while we all have an innate call toward our most successful and fulfilling life, even highly successful people are often unable to achieve beyond a self-imposed limit, a happiness threshold, if you will. As you achieve greater success, Hendrix says you reach this threshold, which triggers self-sabotaging behaviors. Hendrix explains how our happiness thresholds are established early in life through the adoption of false beliefs and how to identify your own false beliefs. He offers practical advice for applying this new knowledge to your life and relationships in order to take the big leap into living your best life. There we go.
0: Nice. Nice. And the cover is this cute little goldfish jumping from a small bowl to a larger bowl. He's taking a big leap because he could get eaten by a cat, he could die.
1: Yeah, and I I think that whole idea that we could get eaten by a cat and die (laughs) is kind of the overarching theme (laughs) of the book. So what led me to this was listening to um, Questlove's podcast and interviewing Bonnie Raitt. And I thought that Bonnie Raitt was just absolutely an adorable guest. She just seemed totally right on. She's one of those people that seems like she'd be your friend. And the, both of them started talking about this book, The Big Leap, and it turns out Bonnie Raitt is friends with Gay Hendrix, And um, she's actually mentioned in this book. Um, which I, I thought was freaking awesome. I love her slide playing. She's a great singer. Um, so anyway, Bonnie Raitt is who led me down this path to find this book.
0: Mm. You led me to this path to find this book. <laughs> <I> th- <laughs>
1: I'm assuming in the episodes to come that that's going to be how that goes. No, definitely <laughs> that I'll not. Be like, that I'll be like, yeah, you told me that this was the next book. <laughs>
0: No, definitely not. I think, um, you know, I get recommended books all the time because um, yeah. people I... are like, please fix yourself. Bye. <laughs> 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 so
1: the I would say that the reason why I started and stuck with this book is that even when Bonnie Raitt and Questlove were talking about it, there was this ping of like... Some, like, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up, and I felt like there was something relevant about this. And I got that same ping when I was talking to you not all that long after I had finished the book, like, yeah, Amber needs to check this out. And I think that that, you know, that's a little bit of where this podcast came from. So what were, uh, aside from me saying, hey, I would really like for you to do this, what were you hoping to get out of this book?
0: Yeah, um... I think when I first looked over it, I was a little, not going to lie, I was a little questionable, a little doubtful, because I was like, this seems, uh, (laughs) this seems a little, I guess, disingenuous, Um, and we can definitely unpack more of those feelings as we go along, but... um, I was hoping to be proven wrong and I was at certain points um, Same. and I was hoping that you know at some point I could ascend from a lot of the self-sabotaging self-doubt that kind of comes with being a traumatized person um, or being a person with mental illness period. So I kind of opened it with some mixed expectations for sure.
1: What do you feel like is the kind of the important like takeaway for you from this? Like still here kind of at the top of the episode. What what did you feel like was most the happiest thing that you learned about? What Uh, were you happiest that you learned about?
0: I definitely think that the upper limiting theory um, and ways to handle that is really helpful for anybody in a lot of different situations. I think that, you know, it, you can call it self-sabotage, but it's also dealing with anxiety and dealing with imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. and, you know, dealing with addiction and honestly addictions to substances and addictions to, heightened emotions um so that can ruin a lot of different things in your life and while not everyone can relate to finding success like in their careers a lot of people can relate to finding success in their relationships with their family and their friends and their loved ones yeah just as a person yeah for sure so i think that some of his ideas are really broad, um, and that kind of apply to a lot of different things.
1: Yeah, I think so too. for For those of you at home, or jogging, or in your cars, or whatever. <laughs> so, we've we've mentioned upper limiting a couple of times, and um, <clears throat> I'm just going to kind of try to paraphrase, uh, and again, I'm not reading from the book here. I'm not going to Gay Hendricks' um, website to tell you what upper limiting is. But upper limiting, he says, is essentially something good happens, and I think the human brain is only wired up to accept something like 8 to 15 seconds of happiness at a time. So let's say something really good happens to you, and then the next thing that happens after, yay, is this moment of skepticism, of like, okay, so this really good thing happened, so now what's the bad thing going to be that offsets it? And when nothing bad happens to offset it, you make it happen yourself. And this is like, let me give you an example of my own upper limiting. I was in Hawaii. I was by myself. There was no dad or girlfriend or wife or, you know, brother or whatever there to ruin the vacation for me. So I went ahead and ruined my own vacation. And I remember having that realization you know, with like angry tears in my eyes and going like, why do I do this? Why don't I just stop doing this? And that was about 11 years ago. And ever since then, that idea that like, I kind of ruin things for myself sometimes, or that I'm self-sabotaging, I will, it's been kind of a question mark. But as of the big leap, Now I'm on the lookout for a specific kind of behavior. And it's usually that something good happens. And instead of enjoying it for as long as I can, like imagine instead of 15 seconds, what if it was 45 minutes of just basking in this great feeling? I absolutely would not do that. I would stand up and I would go get to work on preventing, you know, whatever might be coming around the corner from coming and getting me. You know, I've always got to be making plans to alleviate some sort of catastrophe that's off in the distance that never arrives. They, it's, that's that's a, a decent explanation of upper limiting, I guess. And it, it happens for everyone in totally different ways. Like you might be really looking forward to uh, meeting your friends for dinner, but then you get a headache right when you're about to go out. Again, that's totally relevant to me. But that essentially is like, you don't realize you're doing it, but this is an upper limiting thing that you've gotten yourself so wound up. Now there is an excuse to not go do the thing that you actually wanted to do. What are, what were some other upper limiting things that you thought of?
0: Um, Definitely can apply to my life. Um, I think when I experience a good feeling Or good time, I walk away from that. I can really be present in the moment. And I think that I've been good at that and being optimistic. And I think most people know that I always say, I can have a good time anywhere. Um, But usually, as soon as I leave that situation, I'm like, okay, what did I do wrong? (laughs) What did I say wrong? Did I interpret this wrong?
1: Am I going to hear about something I said later?
0: Right. Like, what is about to happen? This was too good. (laughs) And there's a part of everybody that feels like they don't deserve that. Yeah. And I think Mr. Gay expresses that very well. I would like to mention that I listened to this on an audiobook, um, and he sounds like your sweetest grandpa who is so kind and caring because it's, you know, the author's reading.
1: And he just wants to give you that good
0: information. <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah, I think that a lot of people can struggle with this, but one of the best parts is identifying that behavior and kind of just being aware. And then you can kind of move to... Eliminated as best you can.
1: Yeah, one promise of the book that he makes is: what if you could just the the feeling of, you know, you just won the big game, or you just got a book deal, or you know, some something came through at work that you've been working for for a long time, or someone that you've always wanted to ask out said yes. That feeling of like, yeah, that triumphant feeling. One of the promises of the book is you could. Feel like that all the time, if you wanted to. <laughs> if you if you say yes to uh, taking in and implementing the things that he talks about. It's an intriguing way to start a book.
0: What do you feel are some of the things you disagreed with when reading the book? I feel like we both have varying thoughts on this.
1: Yeah, he had... Um, And like I know what he's talking about, so um, I I actually have to back up and um and give a little bit of background uh, for one of these points. Scientists, (laughs) physicists, as far as they can tell, time is not actually a thing. That like us sentient beings are kind of the only ones that experience time. Like, obviously, inanimate objects do not experience time. They're not aware. But um, there's there's the idea that there might be other beings elsewhere that, um, that do not experience time linearly. They might experience it as a flat circle. They might experience it as all things for eternity forward and backward are happening all at the same time. So it, it's almost like this this experiment called life is an experiment in experiencing time. That's way out there, super duper trippy stuff. And that's as far into that as I'm going to go. <laughs> uh, however, Gay Hendrix says that since time is so subjective and, you know, like take this with a grain of salt, time is not a real thing. Um, He says that we essentially are masters of our own time, that we control it in a very real, uh, physical way. So I, I kind of took issue with the way that he put that, which is really, it's really nitpicking. Like, no, I mean, time is, (laughs) time is going on whether or not you want to acknowledge that it's real. (laughs) Um, but, I see what he's talking about. He's saying essentially, like you know if you're you're always rushing, you're always late. Stop wearing a watch, and it's like this really alarming news, mm-hmm. and a lot of people reading the book will get through that passage and be like, What? and then they'll just be later than ever <laughs> what yes. he's, what I think he's talking <laughs> about is in it. Don't worry so much about budgeting your time. Think about it more like if I give myself plenty of time to do this, I'll get there in time. You know, um, that if if you're constantly late to things, that's your upper limiting at work. That's your finding little things up until the very last minute before you have to Mm -hmm. leave to go somewhere, before you can get there on time. And you will inevitably find one or two more things to do that Mm -hmm. will make you not be right on time, but you'll be late. And essentially, like, if you're rushing around everywhere, you're experiencing time at a completely different rate. Time is just flying by. But if you slow down, the idea is that you can master your own time. I thought that was... A good idea, but I thought it was strangely put. And uh, I'm I'm sure that Gay Hendrix is gonna come after me for that one.
0: Yes, he seems very violent. Yeah, um, totally a violent. And guy. Not
1: violent, old nice guy. <laughs>
0: yeah, I Where show. Yeah, I'm gonna show up late for work and just be like, "Look, time isn't real." Yeah, right. And it's not gonna... a thing. <laughs> you can't
1: count me tardy because your rules don't apply.
0: So I think that brings me to the glaring issue I have with this book um, that anyone else reading might find is a lot of this perspective is written from a place of privilege. Um, You need to find your, what makes you happy. You need to find what you do and you need to take that big leap and quit your day job and, you know, do everything that you need to um, to be successful in whatever makes you happy. Yeah, make those it, dreams happen. Right. And I feel like that is just <laughs> completely unrealistic for, for most people. For a lot of people, yeah. I mean, you are not factoring in poverty. You're not factoring, factoring in marginalized groups of people. Uh, You're not factoring in mental illness. You know, you're not even factoring in like some locations Mm -hmm. where people are that some of these things can't be offered. And so that was kind of one of my glaring issues is kind of like you are your own worst enemy. You are your own limiting person. But so once you just conquer that, you'll be great and you'll be very successful. Um, Yeah. No, not necessarily.
1: Yeah, that definitely that part definitely kind of falls into the territory of um you know, we're like with a lot of the self help books, I'm pretty sure we're gonna run into the same thing. We're selling something. Right. You know, like and this that that's the most salesman y part of the whole thing to me. And that's that's not to say that like this book isn't extremely valuable, I think. I feel like all of our listeners would probably be better off if they, if they at least took a look at the book.
0: For sure. But
1: that part, that part where, like, your dreams are all possible, that does feel like somebody's selling me something.
0: Yeah, and that makes, you know, certain points disingenuous. I mean, even kind of the anecdotes he used were <laughs> kind of these unrelatable, from what I understand and what I can tell, kind of snooty you know, there was that one um, that was this lady. She lost like $200,000 off of her her boyfriend, I think, at the time. Like, he convinced yes. her to invest in something. And, you know, like... <laughs> She was, of course, upset, but then he's like, Well, you can only blame yourself. Like, and then she's like, Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Well, at least we have more. Bye. You know, I lose like $40, and I'm like, Oh, shit. (laughs) What have I done? You know,
1: everything is ruined. Everything's over.
0: This is why I can't gamble. (laughs) There's,
1: right. (laughs) And the, the, Background for that story was that this, this lady really should have known better. She should have trusted herself and not her boyfriend. Well. You know, because she, she thought that her boyfriend was extremely knowledgeable about that. And just, like, just insert whatever. Insert, like, Bitcoin or whatever. and uh, And his ideas on investments wound up screwing her. And, like, well, yeah, I mean, you got a point that like if she had just, like, trusted herself instead of, you know, her boyfriend, then she would not have lost that money. But, like, come on. Like, that's a lot of zeros. <laughs> it's an awful lot of The takeaway is
0: never trust your boyfriend. Right. Um, <laughs> period. So, anyway, bye. Great show. Right. See ya. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... I also think that (laughs) part of the issues I had was, I don't know, and I don't know if this is just in my head, but I don't particularly measure success with wealth and fame. right? Um, My success is living comfortably and having time to do things that I enjoy and... Also, having time to work. And also, you know, when you're commodifying the parts of you that are creative and soul enriching, that kind of sucks sometimes. Like, you are opening yourself up to a lot of turmoil. And also, you know, work sucks. Like, it just kind of does. And even though, like, I personally love what I do and I love my job. But there's definitely parts of it that sucks. And that's kind of what you're doing to your creativity or your art or whatever great thing that you feel like you're drawn to do. Right. And
1: gosh, I know all about that. So <laughs> the, the reason why. Uh, OK, so here's another example from the book um, and back to Bonnie Raitt. Um, I don't remember exactly the context of it, but like for those of you who don't know, Bonnie Raitt is, um, was a big deal in early 90s, top 40. Uh, I guess now she'd be part of the format known as Adult Alternative.
0: If you don't know Bonnie Raitt, just close your laptop, close your phone, do not listen to our podcast right. anymore. Goodbye.
1: Right. <laughs> so she had. A good 25 years, uh, maybe 20 years of playing music before something to talk about, you know, before the Grammy and before all that of playing like legit straight blues on acoustic. Mm -hmm. Um, She is an amazing slide player, but uh, you don't really get rich by playing the blues. In fact, if you got rich by playing the blues, you you wouldn't have the blues anymore. (laughs) Mm hmm. Um, at which people are going to come after me about that one, too. Um, half joking. So Bonnie was asked, I believe, by Gay Hendrix, like, I want you to picture success. And the first thing that popped into her head was accepting a Grammy Award. So being on stage at the Grammys, accepting an award, which at that point, when she was contemplating that, She had never had any kind of success like that. She had had many, many years of alcoholism tripping her up and and essentially Mm -hmm. upper limiting her uh, upward mobility. And lo and behold, a year later, she was on that stage that she was picturing accepting a Grammy Award. And so while he's got these kind of like hard to relate to anecdotes to kind of drive things home... The point of that particular one is you don't get what you don't ask for. Like, if you can't picture it, you're not going to get it, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think of it as essentially picturing a point in the future and harpooning that point and then just pulling yourself with a rope, you know, over to that point in the future that you've harpooned. Stay on that path. Yeah. So, I mean that's good it It is a little hard to like relate to like well, you know two hundred thousand dollars or like you know amber you're going to get a Grammy you know like it's it's mm. kind of it you know some of that stuff is a little tough to like, well, how does this relate to me but like but to me, I had a kind of a eureka moment like, yeah, you know like i need I need to picture that moment of like where have I made it, and I need to picture it soon, frankly
0: mm. Mm-hmm. Clearly from my career path, I don't think I've approached anything with how much money can I make, Mm -hmm. Um, or I would be on a very different plane. Right. (laughs) So I think that it did help me put in perspective what I kind of wanted out of life, because I mean, truthfully, you know, I'm 30 years old, and I never really sat down and pictured exactly what you know I wanted to be content you know these are always kind of like moving targets yeah um and I think lately and you know I've come to a really big transition in my life um and I think (laughs) this is a good point to talk about how In this podcast, we're probably going to get pretty personal.
1: Yeah, there's a reason why we're talking about (laughs) self-help books.
0: Um, So some of that's really scary. um, And some of that's really emotional for me. And of course, as my therapist is always like, do you realize you laugh when you talk about really (laughs) screwed up things happening to you? like, what? (laughs) Shut your mouth. Um... So, you know, and then I think, weren't you with me when um, I had a band staying with me and they were like, I feel bad laughing at what you just told me. <laughs> and I was yeah. just like, you know, it's okay. That's kind of how I deal with it. Yeah,
1: what else are you going to do, cry?
0: Right. You know, I if I'm laughing at it, it's definitely okay for you to laugh too. So please, moving forward, don't feel bad for me. Please don't. Just laugh at how weird my life is. Same.
1: Same. I've had the most ridiculous stuff happen to me. And um, it's only been recently that I've realized how responsible for that I, that I was. Also
0: that, yeah. Um, and you tell me all the time, all we can do is just make better choices. Yeah. Um, but, yes, so I've hit a really huge transition in my life. I've turned 30. I am on the brink of a divorce. I am not sure if by the time this airs I might be actually divorced. That would be great.
1: That would be nice.
0: Um It's good
1: to be able to like close <laughs> a damn book, you know, when right. the when the last chapter's over instead of just leaving it open forever and ever and ever.
0: <laughs> right. Um, you know, very painful. Um I moved to a different state and still doing Pretty much the same thing Career wise um, But you know Me and my two cats Doing all the fun things Having a good time And it's a lot More <sighs> Mm-hmm. Like this is nice, um, which also can make me really nervous. Um, yeah. Oh God, this is nice. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. Oh, what's gonna happen I now? I know. And you start making those predictions about like, oh, what's gonna happen now? And that changes your your behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it it kind of invites that that bad energy in. There mm-hmm. was um, I, and I know that there was probably a bunch of things in the book that were. Super crazy relatable, I had a moment where I was listening and I had to, I was on a long car drive listening to to Grandpa Hendrix uh,
0: mm-hmm. as I was
1: driving to Tennessee. And I had a moment where I had to pull over because I kind of couldn't believe the story that I just heard uh, based on its relevance to my own life. And I had to listen to the story again. Like I had to stop it, listen to this anecdote again. Mm-hmm. Essentially, let me tell you what happened in my life and then what happened in his. So I've always been a musician. Always. That's, there's never been a point where I wasn't like trying to play things, record things. I was singing to the cows in the backyard in Alabama when I was like four and five years old. Ask mom. I was out there like singing Elvira to the cattle. <laughs> And so here I am at, uh, gosh, what was I? 21 years old, uh, came back home and I had the shrink wrapped copy of my first solo album, uh, on CD. And I handed it to my dad and was like, you know, there you go. I did it. Mm -hmm. And dad barely like looked at it. He took it from me, like kind of without taking eyes off of my eyes and set it down on a pile of CDs that was in the living room. And a few years later, when he was dead, I remember coming back to the house, and that CD, still shrink-wrapped, was sitting in the exact same place he'd set it down that day. And, you know, like, it's just one more thing in a whole bunch of things that Dad did like that. Um, And I know... I know that he didn't want me to feel this way, but he kind of only did things to signal that I should feel this way. Like that was like the, the, you know, what he had in his head was that I, you know, he wanted me to feel supported and loved and all that, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't do those things. Mm. You know, he only knew how to be a certain way. He was raised by crazy people. He was raised by like legitimately crazy people. And the, the least crazy of the two that was raising him died when he was a child. So he's got this crazy lady raising him and she doesn't even want kids, you know, doesn't really even like him. So how how do you think he was raised? You know, like he was adopted to begin with. So he doesn't have a whole lot of connection to people. He doesn't know how to show that, you know, here's how I show my approval, here's how I show my love and whatnot. And so here I am, I'm 44 now. This happened when I was, I guess, like 25. I'm still kind of like wrestling with the unopened CD that was in the living room. It made me feel crappy. Like, come on, man. Like, this is your son's first solo record. Maybe maybe crack it open. <laughs> maybe at least open it and sit it there instead of letting it gather dust with the little cellophane shrink wrap still on it. So here is the tale from Gay Hendrick's book he comes home for Thanksgiving with his first published, I assume, self-help book, uh, not long out of college, and brings copies for his family and hands them to him, and he's getting questions like, you know, how how long is this gonna take to read? Mm. Um, and Poor you know Mr. Gay. It, right. <laughs> and so his family members essentially are doing the same thing, which is like they, you know, take it, glance at it and set it down somewhere where it's going to be out of the way, out of sight, out of mind for indefinitely.
0: And he's a Floridian. I want to, he was raised in Florida, right? Yeah. So I think some of those themes we can find in our Southern upbringing kind of hit home.
1: Right. Well, his, his explanation for, there's, he feels like there was something encoded in that book. And it had to do with his upbringing. So when Gay Hendrix was born, when he was conceived, there was a happy family that he was about to come into. And by the time he was born, that happy family was a thing of the past. His father had died and he was the money maker of the family. And now he's coming into a situation where he is legitimately like, oh, crap, like, This inconvenience is coming into our world, which has already been destroyed. He's not coming to help anything. He's actually coming in to take more resources. And his mom had depression and was kind of like down and out for a bit. And his grandparents raised him. So he's come into a situation where his very existence is an inconvenience. Therefore, anything that he creates... Is an inconvenience. Guess what, folks? <laughs> I was, you know, my, my parents loved me, but I was a mistake and they were about to get divorced when I was conceived and then was born. So, similar sort of situation where like I'm the inconvenience and anything that I create is an inconvenience. And both he and I feel like we've kind of encoded this into our works. I'm trying to stop doing it. Obviously, he feels like he has stopped encoding this I Am Inconvenience thing into his books.
0: Adam has uh, failed to mention that his first solo album was Yodeling Polka.
1: (laughs) It was just not something Dad was into because Dad was only into disco punk.
0: He's... uh... (laughs) Yeah, you got to tell people the whole story, Adam. Come on. I'm leaving some very fancy details out here.
1: No, dad Dad brought me home and set me down in front of the speakers mm. and put on Led Zeppelin when I was born. That's the kind of dude he
0: was. Uh, My mom listened to Bon Jovi. So, anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this book definitely helped me with a lot of self-doubt that I kind of come through with in a lot of things I do whether it's creating a podcast or just working or in my friendships and relationships and I feel like to supplement that my (laughs) biggest takeaway that I will end up telling myself is in the grand scheme of things nobody gives a shit what you're doing yeah. Like, you can do whatever you want, and that's kind of depressing at first glance, but it is a little bit freeing. Nobody gives a shit. Nobody cares. And
1: that's, that's definitely the same thing that I, I happily stumbled into as uh, the pandemic started, and mm-hmm. I, I, was, I didn't have my band um, for the pandemic, and I thought about it like, so I, I'm going to record. I'm going to record an album. And I was thinking, man, nobody cares. You know, why am I going to do this thing if nobody cares? Nobody's waiting for this.
0: Oh, no, my thing is do it because nobody cares.
1: And then I realized, (laughs) hey, wait a minute. Nobody fucking cares. Nobody cares. I can do anything that I want. I can pick a completely different musical style. I can finally do that yodeling polka record that I've been talking about Ever since Dad raised me on, you know, on um, who is the greatest yodeling polkist that you know of,
0: I only know that guy who did the Ponzi scheme.
1: There you go. <laughs> that guy's my main influence. He
0: did tour. <laughs> I'm gonna have to, which look is that more, up later.
1: more than I do. <laughs>
0: Touring Ponzi scheme.
1: Well, so did you? You have any any like super duper relevant moments when you were listening to this book?
0: Hmm. I
1: or was it just a good, uh, the, the good feeling of being hugged by, by Gay Hendrix? Oh, I for... know.
0: Oh, I know. He, he definitely has a great delivery, and I think that's part of the reason he is a little bit so successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about his wife, and it's so freaking cute, Katie. Oh, my gosh, at the end.
1: So I guess the deal is, like, the real sell for him is that he seems really sweet and really happy and really successful.
0: And you can, I, too. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would like to
1: stand closer to that to catch some of that stardust.
0: Right. Um, as far as, like, great revelations, ah, sometimes I think I can be a little bit painfully aware of my... Downfalls in life, and I kind of was just like, Yeah, yeah, I do that. Yep, uh, hmm, sounds like me for sure. And then when you
1: recognize that you're doing that, yeah, then you get to make a different choice,
0: of course. Yeah. Um, I think that moving forward, I have made a conscious effort to at least just, Hey, you're upper limiting yourself right now, you can just stop.
1: Yeah, upper limiting has kind of become a, a shorthand for like, hey, I don't think you mean to be doing this.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agreed with the whole if you get sick, you're upper limiting. I think, or you know, if you're injured, you're upper limiting. I think some of those are a little. Uh.
1: Oh yeah, I had I have been constantly thinking about the idea that my migraines are an upper limiting thing that I might be doing to myself.
0: But, you know, mental illness is psychological. Placebos work, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and there are, there is something to that.
1: If it works, it works.
0: Yeah. Um, but you can't blame everything on upper limiting. Oh, well, I got cancer. I guess that's upper limiting. Yeah. Like, you know, that's, I guess you so didn't really
1: want to succeed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, um, when they're talking about the zone of genius...
1: Th- yeah. Okay, so this is a part that <laughs> we have not, not really discussed at all. And it's, I, what is the zone of genius is roughly half the book. Right. So uh, do you want to describe, like, just a, a real quick and about a paragraph for the listeners, what does he mean by zone of genius, zone of competence?
0: Right. So when you are, you know plugging along you are working you're nine to five you are doing the things that you need to do you go home and you work out and you cook dinner and you go to bed and things are nice that is kind of a zone of competence you are not really challenging yourself to be better
1: and nothing's really shaking you yeah from
0: that. um When he talks about the zone of genius, he's talking about what you are blossoming in. So what you are obviously excelling in, but you're also challenging yourself. You're kind of learning a lot about yourself. And that's at least what I took away.
1: Right. So it might look like I'm an employee at this company and I'm always employee of the month and I'm kicking ass. That would be zone of competence Mm -hmm. versus like screw you guys, I'm starting my own company. Yeah. And then, like, you start making millions of dollars. You take the and big leap. You take the big leap, <laughs> and you're realizing
0: your true potential. I need air horns when you say that now. <laughs> that's,
1: and that's the zone of genius. And I've been, ever since I listened to the book, I've been trying to figure out, like, oh, okay, all right, so there's a lot of zone of competence in mm-hmm. my life and not a whole lot of zone of genius. And I have to figure out, what does that look like? Screw you guys. I'm starting my own company. Yeah. That's, that's, I've decided right now I'm starting my own podcast.
0: I did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm writing my own self-help book. 40
0: minutes into the podcast, a twist. <laughs> um, I think I talked to you over a really romantic Waffle House date about how, I think there's implications from telling people they are in a zone of genius Mm -hmm. when they think they are, Um, which I think argumentatively you can say someone who is just wildly overconfident would not be picking up. No, this book.
1: Yeah, no, they wouldn't be picking <laughs> up this book anyway. I and just that's feel not, like that's not what he's talking. There's
0: about. a slippery slope here, okay? Like right. you're gonna have someone SoundCloud rapper boyfriend, like, babe, I'm in my zone of genius. I cannot be bothered to get a job. <laughs> like- right, but what it really
1: <laughs> might look like is I've you know started started my own nonprofit mm-hmm. and am. You know, at this point, feeding thousands of people daily, and yeah, you know, it's that's if you've figured out some some new ways to do that, you're probably existing in your zone of genius. Yeah, where it, there's just kind of like a runaway snowball of success starting up. That's kind of a sign that that you're moving in the right direction uh, for your zone of genius.
0: He also says, like, what work does not feel like work, and you know that's <laughs> sleeping
1: privilege. That's kind um, of, we're getting back into that territory.
0: So I feel like you know saying that that statement that he says is kind of derived from you know that quote that a lot of people will kind of recite. If you find a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I fundamentally don't agree with that. I just feel like work is work and that's why it's called work. And sometimes it's hard work even if you do love it.
1: Right. Yeah, and you might find yourself doing it twenty four seven and never sleeping. And that's that doesn't necessarily mean that you've hit your zone of genius either. It mm-hmm. just means, you know, maybe your Etsy shop needs to take a break uh two days a week.
0: Yeah, I don't think, you know, for instance, when I was young, I was a ballerina. I was in theater. I was not great at either of those things. Oh, hell no. I like, had a lot of fun growing up but and in in pursuing those artistic hobbies. Yeah, I took a lot of classes in
1: college that didn't have anything to do with my but degree, and those were all my favorites.
0: I thought at that time... Oh my gosh, I want to grow up and be a stage actress and do all of this. And, eh, you know, <laughs> I'm kind of glad that at some point I got taken down to earth. Um, although I was Anne Frank mm-hmm. <laughs> in yeah. Theater of Guests.
1: Right. Kind of a high point in the uh, theater.
0: I mean, I was a celebrity of Gadsden. What do you expect? I had a zone of genius at that time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think that, you know, honestly, I'm still searching for my zone of genius. Sure. I, if, I,
1: if we were the goldfish, we'd both be kind of in midair in between. The yeah. The
0: like one. I still like I love working and i love my job i love that i can have some flexibility to pursue things that i love mm-hmm. that is not there's not a urgent need to commodify the things i'm doing you know, I don't, yeah. like, need to make money taking pictures or writing poetry or doing a podcast. <laughs> I don't, right. you know, I not don't... Not everything
1: is a hustle right. for you. It's just you so, have a lot of interests.
0: It's just kind of like, oh, yeah, cooking. I don't really need to make money cooking. Right. Um, I don't need to make money yoga doing yoga. I'm not very good at yoga, but I do love it.
1: <laughs> right. So uh, to kind of... There's a lot of, I think, noise in trying to understand the book for both of us. But mm-hmm. I think that the the main takeaway from the book is, um, do you want to kick it up a notch? Yeah. And if you haven't, do you know why you
0: haven't? Mm-hmm. I am always kind of trying to identify parts of my existence and being that is conflicting with what I need to grow. And, you know, coming from a traumatized perspective, um, I'm, you know, in therapy and I was diagnosed with PTSD in 2016 and then CPTSD in 2018, Um, still struggle with a lot of those symptoms But I think that oftentimes you can definitely, or at least I can, get into a victimization zone where these things happen to me and there's not a really whole lot I could do about it. And I guess I'm just like this now. And that's super depressing And and very
1: hard to get out of.
0: And yeah not in a zone of genius, yeah
1: that's that's <laughs> uh essentially you're in a pit at that point, right. and there's you're not going to get out of it without help, usually, and
0: I think a lot of you know, the resources we'll encounter are you're not to blame. you are not doing anything wrong, and I think that sometimes taking a look at yourself and seeing what could have opened you up for these traumatic experiences is not self-blame is not blaming victim blaming. You know, I think that there is really something to understanding what brought you to this place. And you can really identify those patterns.
1: Oh yeah. It can be empowering to take a look at what you might be doing wrong.
0: Absolutely. And I'm completing my signed reading and I feel like, this podcast gives me a little bit of accountability with that.
1: All right. So that is episode one of checking in a self-help book club in the books. Now, Amber, you want to tell us about the socials?
0: Yeah. So you can find us on Instagram currently. If you have any suggestions, if you have a book that you love, if you read the big leap and you totally disagree with everything we said or if you have your own ideas please hit us up on Instagram it's at checking.in.podcast on Instagram and Mr. Gay also has an Instagram it's Hendrix.Gay and um, it's extremely cute his pictures that I'm looking at now are all of his freaking wife and I'm gonna cry because he's so cute and sweet now, and a, how and is that a spelled? Hendrix, not Jimmy. Right. H E N. I was wondering. H E N D R I C K S dot G A Y. And you can let him know that you love his book. Please don't say anything ugly to him because he's so sweet.
1: <laughs> Thank you, folks. See y'all next week.